Well, that was the opening music from They Drive by Night, released in 1940, and starring Humphrey Bogart, George Raft, Ida Lupino, and... Oh no, I forgot the last main character. Anne Sheridan. Anne Sheridan. She was great. I really, really liked Anne Sheridan, even though I can't remember her name right now. I think she started out as a dancer, but yeah, she was very good and very believable. Yeah, I like this movie. It was uh, it was different than a lot of movies we've watched. So you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And you can also find us in iTunes and on Facebook. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from sunny Seattle today. And uh, I'm Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles welcoming everyone back to classic movie reviews now we had a great visit in seattle over the thanksgiving holiday and ran into a person that we hadn't seen for over two decades at a sports bar unbelievable (laughs) that's weird (laughs) that is talk about being a small world well we were so busy with uh eating and socializing we didn't get a chance to record our podcast live this year I know. Well, this will work, I guess, huh? Yeah, this is still good. But it was great to see you. Uh, was and see everybody and and all the families and uh, I believe you counted or we counted twenty eight people for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Wow. Pretty good crowd. It's a lot to be thankful for. Absolutely. So they drive by night. A little background. Uh, it was released or distributed by Warner Brothers, and uh, the release date was July of 1940. Directed by Raoul Walsh. I looked up Mr. Walsh's background. He did his first directorial assignment in 1913, and his last one was 1964. Wow. So according to my math, he was active as a director for 51 years. Wow, that's a long time. And um, he died at the age of ninety-three in nineteen eighty. Two movies that we could we could review in the future that I really really like: Objective Burma from nineteen forty-five with Errol Flynn, a really well done World War II action movie, and uh, White Heat with James Cagney and my favorite actor Edmund O'Brien from 1949. So then I I got into this a little bit yesterday when we got home. I was looking up Mark Hellinger, the the producer. Uh Uh-huh. What a a life. He died at 44 from a... He had a a heart ailment. But during that time, he was a uh, writer for the New York Daily News and then a writer for the New York... Another New York paper. And then in 1937, he had a syndicated column uh, uh, that had 174 papers that distributed his writing. He died in 1947 at, like I say, 44 years old. But he uh, he had no formal education. He produced a ton of movies. And two, again, two of my favorites, I Sierra, he produced in 1941, another Ida Lupino, Humphrey Bogart movie. And one that, again, we could review, The Naked City, from 1948, which is very realistic uh, for the time. So that's the background on that. And this movie 
Made a lot of money. <laughs> At a big box off, big box office. Did this movie really make a lot of money? It bo- it says the box office was four million dollars. Oh wow! You know, in its initial release. So in today's dollars, what would that be? Uh, probably seventy, eighty million. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was a biggie. So that's some of the background. I wasn't sure what to make of the movie at first because it's like it starts off with these two brothers and they're driving trucks and sort of have some problems with the guy that they are getting their truck financed through and they've got some problems with their truck because apparently everybody drives like a madman around wherever they were. (laughs) So their truck gets run off the road and they have to get a new wheel or tire. So they end up going to this little diner where they end up meeting Anne Sheridan's character, Cassie Hartley, among another, I mean, among a cast of interesting characters. It was kind of like the cantina scene out of uh, (laughs) Star Wars or something. Oh, it is. It's very reminiscent of several movies. A later 1940 movie, To Have and Have Not, has Humphrey Bogart and uh, a cast of hundreds and they have the same kind of scene. And I, I just interject that uh, in the movie Grapes of Wrath, the, the, this is a stretch, but I think it works. The the, uh, the uh, movie that we re- reviewed in our early days, the two truck drivers that were in that uh, restaurant cafe as the Jodes were going to California yeah. could, have been, could have been those two truck drivers that were constantly playing the pinball machine. Oh my I thought gosh, they were right. they were in the same uniforms, and they were very helpful and friendly. They were just addicted. Talk about today, you know. Everybody says, "Well, people are playing too many video games." Hey, come on! This was 1940. That was a uh, Roscoe Carnes as Irish McGurn. Irish McGurn. <laughs> <laughs> I love that was, name. And he kept winning, and he was so upset that he kept winning. There was one scene where he'd won. So long, Harry. You gotta have your brains knocked out to be a truck driver. You don't have to, but it helps. Well, here she goes, boys. The last game, then I can hit the road. I don't know why I get tangled up with them machines. They almost cost me my job three times. Irish, you remember Cassie. Oh, sure. Hiya, Cassie. Quit working for Barney? Yeah. He was always trying to tie my apron strings. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There is if you're not wearing any aprons. Fifty-eight free games. I'll never get away from here. Place. <laughs> I know. Pussy enjoyed a drink now and then, didn't he? They all did, boy. Some of yeah. the some of the secondary characters in this film are just delightful to me. Uh, John, I think it's Lytell, was Harry McNamara. He dies in his truck crash. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed him, and I enjoyed that sleazy lone guy I, I can't find his name right now but and he kept saying i'm it's all legal i'm doing everything within the law <laughs> hey if any of you guys own your trucks you better fade farnsworth's coming where's fabrini with Boyd at the south pole oh he went fishing with the president i heard he was playing left end for notre dame now look fellas there ain't nothing personal between fabrini and me he bought a truck and he's got to pay for it. Why? Because everything on that hunk of junk makes noise except the horn. I'm standing on my legal rights. I got to make a living too. Why? Because it says in the law. Oh, I ain't going to argue with you fellas. 
Miss, did you see Joe Fabrini around? I know he's been here. He pulled out more than an hour ago. Yeah? Then whose wheel is that outside? It's mine. Want to make anything out of it? No, 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 no offense. No now offense. listen, Rat, we don't like you around here. Yeah! I'll do you a favor sometime. Oh, that's all right. I don't like the installment guys either. They got a coat of mine once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so it's uh, it's quite a it's quite a it sets the stage though for uh, a lot of the movie just because those those characters keep reoccurring and new ones come on the scene all the time. Oh my gosh, the first five minutes of this movie are so jam packed full of information. I had to watch it a couple times because. There's so much happening, and it's it's one of these movies where there's a lot of fast-paced dialogue, and if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss something. Yes, yes, it very, as they call it, snappy. It's a very snappy dialogue. But I, I have to say that I was, like, really dumbfounded by the way that all the guys, all the truckers in the, the cafe slash gas station uh, treated Ann Sheridan's character, uh, Cassie Hartley. Give me a cup of coffee. Anything else? Yeah, what else you got that ain't poisonous? I don't know. I never eat here. How about taking my order, Red? How about taking your time? Nice new fixture, Bonnie. Yeah, she'll do. Not a bad thing to know. Nice chassis, huh, Joe? Classy chassis. Yes, and it's all mine, too. I don't owe any payments on it. I'd be glad to finance it, baby. Who do you think you're kidding? You couldn't even pay for the headlights. It was like non-stop misogyny from every single guy in yes, there, practically. I know. It was unbelievable. I know. It was so bad that she just upped and quit. Now, that same cast of characters was very supportive of the uh, two Fabrini brothers when, um, I think it's Farnsworth came to collect the money on the truck, and they, and they gave Farnsworth, all the drivers gave Farnsworth different stories about what was going on, and then... <laughs> And then they picked, <laughs> they picked him up and heaved him out the front door of the cafe. They Goodbye. literally threw him out the front door. That was hilarious. <laughs> Wouldn't see that every day at your local truck stop, would you? Well, and, and, and the truck drivers had a real camaraderie among each other. I, I was expecting there to be like one evil truck driver who was going to be like so stereotypical, but there really wasn't. Like uh, when the guy that they were doing the trucking run for what was his name do you remember oh the the first guy that was never paying him yeah the first guy that was never paying them oh gosh uh, i'll find it here in a minute but, i think but he he'd sent out another driver to pick up the fabrini brothers load because they'd had that that accident and they couldn't get the apples to market in time but they they but the guy that they sent out was real nice too and he was like hey i don't you know don't look at me i've got kids at home and i've got a pay my bills and you know it's i'm just trying to do my job and they all sort of supported each other and it was kind of like they were against you know quote unquote the man whether it be farnsworth or this uh truck driver owner guy that never paid his bills and never paid them on time i hope i'm correct here i think that that owner that was always uh coming up with reasons not to pay them was uh, Charles Wilson playing the character Mike Williams. I think that's who that was. Yeah, so they finally, so the Farnsworth brothers, who are played by George Raft and Humphrey Bogart, uh, finally get to San Francisco, or was it Los Angeles? Uh, They were headed for Los Angeles. It, It seemed to me they were making runs back and forth between the Los Angeles area and San Francisco. 
Yeah, so they get to Los Angeles and they confront Williams and they... Tell Williams me and my brother wants to see him. You guys in again? You just heard me say there ain't any loads out. Who said we wanted any? We don't get paid for them anyway. Oh. Oh, hello, boys. How'd you get back? What's the difference? We're here. We ought to wrap a crank around your neck. We got a pretty good hunch it was you put Farnsworth on our tail. Oh, what did I want to see you boys lose your truck for? Now, look, I got some beer halls in mind for you. Something that's coming up real soon. Beer south, you bring back the empties. About three halls a week. How'd you like that? We'd like it fine if we got paid for it. You've been horsing us around long enough. We ought to break your crummy neck for leaving us stuck out in the road with a busted wheel and lifting our load. What do you want me to do? Dig into my pocket every time you guys fold up a wheel or blow a tire? I'm just as broke as you are. What is this, Tin? Here, here, here. Where's your manners, anyhow? Going into a man's private papers. You owe us 300 bucks, gentlemen. You're going to pay us now if you don't. Oh, all right, all right. Don't get hot. I'll, I'll give you a check. What'll they do with it? Use it for a tire patch? We'll take it out of here. Cash. Let go of him, Paul, and write out a receipt. I hope you guys know there's a law against taking people's money. If that was so, you'd have been in a clink years ago. I knew you'd say it our way uh, when we put it up to you, right? You mark my words, you guys are going to regret this. Yeah, that's okay. We're tired of taking all the chances and leaving all the dough to you. Ah, that's the worst of your road, slobs. You're always getting too big for your britches. But I don't mind telling you one thing. This is the last load you'll ever get out of this office. Then in that case, we haven't got anything to lose, have we? Oh. There's your receipt. Yeah, there's your receipt. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah that was a... just knocked a guy on the floor. And I and I and I was wondering like how realistic was this movie for the time you know like was this is this really how things were and I kind of wonder if if it wasn't kind of like this uh, and that's why the there's a truckers union and you know there's certain laws and regulations about trucking now in terms of what's allowed and the number of hours that they can drive and what under what conditions and but I I feel like this was sort of like the wild west of trucking. Oh, I, I definitely would agree with that. When I was a little kid in the 1940s, we would go on road trips. We had an old Chevrolet, and you'd see these trucks, and I don't think any of them looked as bad as the ones the Fabrini brothers had, but if you think back to that first cafe scene when they pull in there, there's a little more modern-looking truck that has built-in headlights yeah, and an yeah. overcab. I think those were called Rios. I'm not sure of that, but... There were a lot of those around, and it, it. I think it was. I think there's a lot of realism and truth in the way they uh, presented the dangers and the uh, unrelentingness of trying to make the runs. And from what I've read today, it's not a whole lot different with these long, over the highway truckers. Uh, and I would once in a while go up to that North Bend truck stop, just uh, east of North Bend, yeah, where there's hundreds of trucks. And that restaurant, when they get full of people, could be kind of like a modern-day version of that cafe. They're very much collegial, a lot of camaraderie, and they're always talking about how the the price they got wasn't quite as high as what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, I imagine that's true. Yeah, especially for the independents, whereas the pinball guys were later. Later in the movie, when uh, Joe Fabrini sort of is taking over the the, the business that he acquires. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Well, we'll get to that uh, <clears throat> part of the story. But uh, the new trucks that he buys, those look a lot more modern and a lot nicer yeah. than what they were driving at the beginning of the movie. I kept looking for the the, the uh, manufacturer names on the trucks. I did see General Motors. 
and uh, I think Rio. Yeah, the the new ones that he bought were great. So I've been thinking. So I've been thinking about the three acts of this movie, and I wanted to see if you agree with me on this. Uh, okay. The first act of the movie is really the part at the beginning where the Fabrini brothers are trying to make a go of it on their own, and you know they have that run in with their their boss who is kind of a crook and a run-in with the financier and then they are headed back home and then there's that terrible terrible accident where one of their buddies falls asleep at the wheel and and drives off the road and is killed in a fire and explosion and his helper is killed as well yeah yeah and i think that's kind of the end of the first act Um, and then there's the second act which is when they uh, go to work for uh no, let's see. They don't go to work. They they decide that they're gonna they're gonna be their own buyers and they're gonna buy some lemons and they're gonna they're gonna mm-hmm. sell their they're gonna sell their own produce and that's how they're gonna basically start their own trucking company. And they have a really great run and deliver these lemons and get a great price and like triple the amount of money that they had invested. And yeah, they, they made out really well on that. On that adventure, and and they run into the financier again, and the financier guy was going to take their truck, but at this point they've got enough money to pay it off, so they <laughs> they have another run in with him, and that was really funny. Give me a cup of coffee, Leo. <laughs> ah, that was great talk. Foyle and me used to have them same silly conversations before we got married. Who said anything about getting married? Nobody, but you can't horse me. I know that rash when I see it. It all depends on how smart the dame is. Oh, yeah, brakes are dragging, I. Our rigs move. Hey, where do you think you're going? Out of that truck. Come on. You walk the other side. Now, fellas, I'm strictly within my legal rights. You know the law. Yeah, you'd look pretty silly going around with a monkey wrench going out of your head. You touch me and I'll call a policeman. If I touch you, you'll call an ambulance. How much do we owe you? $300 plus $50 interest. You sure you ain't jipping yourself? Where's that loan paper? I got it right here. Well, mark on it paid in full in big letters, because that's what you're getting. Cash. One, two, three, twenty, forty, sixty. Here, give me a ten. Well, if you understand, there's nothing personal about this. (laughs) Yeah, we understand. We love you, too. Now get out of here. Well, you don't have to be nasty about it. Uh, We don't have to be, but it's more fun that way. Hey, Joe, what do you say we throw this monkey over the truck? It's not a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, baby, you're all ours. (laughs) They chase him around the back of the truck. Uh, The guy that played that Farnsworth character, Charles Halton, is not even credited in the in the movie. Oh, really? He was such a great. He was one of the more memorable characters. Oh, that's too bad. That, that, that happened once in a while. I'm not quite sure why. Huh? They just didn't have enough room on the title plate. <clears throat> um, but then they are headed back to their home, and they're feeling great about things. And then uh, Paul Fabrini, played by Humphrey Bogart, falls asleep at the wheel, and crashes the truck and ends up losing his arm and they lose the truck and and they're in really really tough straits so that's kind of the second act to me what do you agree with me so far I, so far i yes i do i do i i, I uh-huh and, and so that and, means i'm going to agree with the third act too yeah so and, and what i thought was interesting is that each of those acts felt like a really distinct storyline like it could be 
it was very clear to me, like, this was the first part, this was the second part, this was the third part. And, and in modern day terms, I almost felt like this could be a three-part miniseries on television. Like, it was a real melodramatic oh, right. kind of right. uh, story and had a lot of twists and turns and different plot lines happening. So then the third act is when Ed Carlson, who I liked him a lot, he was a great character. Played by Alan Hale, and Alan Hale must have made 500 movies for Warner Brothers. Man, he was so oblivious to Lana Carson's, Carlson's uh, machinations and schemings. <laughs> and, and and Lana Carl, Carlson was played by Ida Lupino. Yes. And so those two are those two are married, Ed Carlson and Lana Carlson, and they run a really successful trucking company. And they, well, Ida Lupino's character, Lana, sort of puts a bug in Ed Carlson's ear that, you know, you should hire Joe for Brini. Hello, Sugar. Don't you have a knock? Oh, it's all right. We're married. Don't you remember? Yeah, how can I forget? Well, what are you going to do, open up a shop? <laughs> Where's the pole goes with this? <laughs> oh, to show you how things break in this business, you know what happened? Mm-mm. Last night, the Fabrini brothers smacked up. Truck and all. Was Joe hurt? No, he got scratched up a little. His brother lost a wing. Oh. Well, what are they going to do? Well, Joe's going to wheel a truck for me. He's a good man, and I hate to get him that way. Well, if he's such a good man, why are you wasting him out on the road? Where else am I going to put him? Well, anyone with a big back can drive a truck. Why don't you put him in the garage? <laughs> in the garage? What would he do there? I don't know. There must be a lot of things he can do. You're always complaining how tired you are. Maybe if you had someone to help you, you wouldn't always fall asleep after dinner. You know, Shug, that ain't a bad idea of yours. <laughs> Always thinking of the old man, huh? Sure I am, man, but you never give me any credit for it. Because she's got the hots for Joe and wants to have Joe around the office more and so she can try to, you know, while her way into his life. And Joe's, got, Joe's having nothing to do with it. I thought, man, Joe was such a stand-up guy. I really, really liked his character. Ready? I don't know, Mrs. Carlson. I'll go and see. Oh, never mind. He'll be done. Got a match? No lighter in this car? Doesn't work. Did Ed tell you about our anniversary party tomorrow night? Yeah, I'm um, sorry. I can't make it. But Ed's counting on having you. Won't you, Ed? Sure. What is it and how much does it cost? Joe says he can't make our party tomorrow night. Oh, sure you can. It's our new house. I want you to see it. I gave it to Lana as a surprise. Have she picked it out? Well, I... I had something planned with Paul for tomorrow night. Hey, look here. I'm boss. This is a royal command. You show up at my new dump tomorrow night. Paul don't pay your salary. I do. Okay, I'll show up. But I gotta leave early. I knew Ed could bring you around. He must have more appeal than I have. She's terrific. (laughs) If you open your mouth, she puts her foot in it. Uh-huh. Here comes work. Good night, Mrs. Carlson. See you tomorrow, Ed. Yes, and he kept referring to Alana as Mrs. Carlson. It was driving her crazy. Literally, literally driving yeah, her literally, crazy. Literally, yes. <laughs> he really descends in the third act, let me tell you. And and wow. while this is so Joe is kind of on the rise in the company, and Paul is is having a really hard time because he's lost his arm and can't find any work. And uh, but 
at the same time, Paul's wife, Pearl, is so happy to have him home because... How is he? Busted up, but he's going to be okay. At first, I thought his skull was fractured, but it ain't. Where is he? Down here. It was all my fault, Pearl. He wanted to stop and sleep, and I made him drive. Don't blame yourself, Joe. It's bound to happen sooner or later. I'm grateful he's alive. The truck's gone, I suppose. Complete wreck. Lowe's smash, not a cent of insurance. And we were just starting to do pretty good, too. It's always that way, isn't it? You and Paul will get another truck and be back on the road again. Wait, Pearl. Before you go in. Yes? Looks like Paul's going to be out of work for some time. And I don't want you to worry, see? Well... While he's getting well, I'll take care of everything. What are you trying to do, Joe? Soften the blow? How bad is he? Oh, he's all right. A couple of cuts here and there. All except is right on. They thought... Well, they had to do it. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to surprise you a lot. I'm almost glad it happened. You what? You heard me. I'm almost glad. Now he can't drive a truck anymore. Now I'll be home nights. Now I won't always be alone worrying. Maybe it's worth a right arm, Joe. Maybe it's worth it. She's got a small part in the movie, but I thought it was a pretty important part because she lets everybody know how terrible it is to be a wife of a trucker. Like, never knowing if they're going to come home or if they're safe or when they're going to be home and when they're going to leave. And that's kind of important to the story at the end, I think. Oh, I, I agree. I wanted to just mention Alan Hale. Do you remember Gilligan's Island from the TV series? Of course, yeah. Alan Hale's son, Alan Hale Jr., was uh, in that. He Was, was I think he, he the was captain? The, he was the captain. Oh, that's and where he you, looks if, so familiar, yes. If you look uh-huh. at that TV, it's like they're, they're really, you could see father and son clearly in that. And the name, I thought the name, the name was so familiar to me, but I didn't realize that they were related. That's funny. But the, the third act of this movie was so, like, unexpected to me. I really didn't see that coming. Because uh, it turns into sort of like a crime drama. Oh, yeah, the change to the third act is pretty pretty evident. And uh, I just wanted to mention about Lana Carlson. She had a wander. I had the feeling that she had had a wandering eye for other men just by the dialogue that was taking place, that Joe Fabrini wasn't her first time at this adventure. Well, and the way that she talked to Ed Carlson, too. I used to get hit like that. And get hit, too. <laughs> oh, boy. Is he coming up? Yeah, and a great guy he is, too. Say, Lana, what are you doing with all the dough? This is 200 bucks this week. Would you like me to give you an itemized account? Penny by penny? Oh, no, sure. You use all of what you want. If you're going to look like a million, you got to spend a million, huh? Oh, Ed, please. I just got my makeup on to get romantic around noon time. Oh, well, where you're concerned, I don't watch the clock. Well, I wish you would. Well, as long as you're having a visitor, you may as well put your coat on. Even if you can't sound like an executive, you might try looking like one. Oh, you're going to make a gentleman out of me yet. I doubt it. About how he was such a slob and he couldn't wear, he didn't have a crease in his pants. And, you know, it was like she was the one who brought him up and that all of his success was because of her. And she was really, really self centered and egotistical but uh, uh before we end the talk today we've really got to compare uh, ida lapino's character and ann sheridan's character because mm-hmm. they, they they follow sort of a parallel track in the movie but they are two like polar opposites in terms of how they handle different situations they couldn't uh, have been more different 
And they don't have many scenes where they're together. Yeah, there's the one in the garage when they first meet. What's the trouble? You've got to clean and adjust the points. How long will it take? About 15 minutes. Hello, Joe. Oh. How are you? These are the new trucks you were telling me about? Yeah. I see you got a new buggy yourself. Blowing all the profits, huh? Well, we're making a lot of profits to blow. Why not? Say, it's a snappy outfit. You like it? Mm-hmm. I didn't think you'd notice. It isn't too soon for me to stop wearing black, is it? No, I don't think so. That's the way I felt. Well, take a good look, Joe. You're not going to see me in the same outfit twice for months. Pardon me. Hello, Cassie. Come on, I want you to meet Mrs. Carlson. This is Mrs. Carlson, Mrs. Cassie Hartley. I'm glad to know you. Uh, if you're talking business, I'll wait outside. Oh, oh, no. Cassie and I were going out and get a quick dinner. Would you care to come along? No. No, thank Joe. you. What's the matter? Uh, get some water. Never mind, we'll take it to a doctor. Take me home. But don't you think it'd be better... I said take me home. Hop in, Cassie. I'll run it in the garage for you. No, stop. Let me out. Stop it, Joe. Do you hear? What's the matter with you? Please, let me out. Please, let me out. Please, let me out. Is there anything I can do? Would you like me to come in? Leave me alone. Because she, she really wants Joe to, to be with her, no matter what. And she's... <clears throat> very upset that that Joe's going to marry Cassie Hartley, played by Anne Sheraton. The, the comparison, uh, Ida Lupino in this movie, and and the one that we reviewed uh, in the past on Dangerous Ground, that gives an idea of the range of acting that she was capable of doing. Oh, absolutely! From very evil to almost saintly. Absolutely, she's she's awesome. I mean. She she really inhabited this character, especially in that courtroom scene. Yes, but, when she but, came in, yeah. Yeah, but even a little bit more subtly in the scene when she's at the mental hospital and that automatic door opens and she's like, I won't, I'm not going to go through the door. I'm not going to go through the door. And I thought that was a really great way to kind of set up that final uh, scene in the courtroom. Well, I'd, I'd go back just a little further. Uh, when she realizes that her husband, Ed Carlson, has passed out in the car in the garage, and she realizes that if she walks in front of that electric eye, she'll close the door and he'll die because she's left the car running. The look on her face, the change on her face, really, really got to me in terms of sending the message that she had kind of gone over the edge to become a murderer. And then yeah. she walks by that electric eye. And then, again, she changes and she kind of saunters into the house. I guess yeah. that was the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. That that really stuck with me, too. That was a great scene. Because she, she pauses before she crosses that mm -hmm. electric, electric eye. And it's like, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? Yep, I'm going to do this. And then she, she walks in front of it. Yeah, that was great. And, and at the time, didn't, have, didn't show any regret at all. 
And and what was interesting is uh, she got away with it. I mean, it it looked like it looked like an accident, and the police really didn't investigate too much into it. They kind of took her word for it that. Needless to say, Mrs. Carlson, I regret having to go through this formality. He was so drunk. I always told him something awful would happen if he kept drinking that way. Naturally, I, I couldn't lift such a heavy man out of the car. He'd stayed in the garage before. But he always came in the house when he sobered up. This time, he... Now, don't distress yourself, Mrs. Carlson. Just take your time. This time, he must have awakened still drunk and started the car. Oh, it was awful. He wanted so much to live. He had everything to live for. Thank you, Mrs. Carlson. I regret that I've been forced to question you. I won't bother you any further. You're very kind. Please accept my sincerest sympathy. Thank you. Carlson's death was accidental. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Close the case. Uh, but then it was later in the movie when she decided that she's going to take Joe down because Joe has rejected her, that she changes her story and says that Joe put her up to it. And and I thought, boy, I mean, she's really desperate because there's no evidence of that. And, and then I love that uh, Cassie Hartley stuck with her. I mean, stuck with yes. Joe, you know, and didn't believe for a second that Joe had anything to do with with Lana Carlson or had anything to do with Ed Carlson's death. Thought you'd show up. Now that you're here, what do you want? I want you to tell the truth. What do you think the truth is? Joe had nothing to do with killing your husband. And what's more, he had nothing to do with you. Is that so? What do you think he was doing all those nights he was supposed to be working in the garage? Do you think he was in the garage at all? Why do you think I took him into the business? Why did I give him my husband's insurance money to play with? Because he had an honest face? You could talk to me from now on. But you'd never make me believe that Joe ever laid a hand on anyone like you. What makes you so sure of that? I love him. I know. You love him. You don't know what it is to love a man. But I do. And I'll take him with me wherever I'm going. You're worse than I ever thought anyone could be. Why don't you tell him what really happened? That Joe wouldn't have anything to do with you. That you killed your husband yourself because you thought he was in the way. That you kept throwing yourself at Joe, but he wouldn't look at you because he had you pegged from the beginning. Tell him you found out he was going to marry me. And you decided to do anything to stop it. Even if it meant double-crossing yourself. You've got it all worked out, haven't you? But you've got it worked out wrong. All wrong. Because I'm the one who... Stop that door. Stop it, I tell you. Stop that door. Stop it. Stop it. Come on, your time's up. No, I won't go through that door. I won't. You can't make me. I won't. No, I won't. I won't. I tell you, I won't. I won't. I so there were there were these opportunities in the film for them to just really go into cliche territory, but I think they kind of navigated that pretty well and and made it feel more realistic. I, I think so. I mean, it's a movie that's seventy five years old, 
and uh, if you you could change up the uh, trucks and all and make it today, it would hold up well. It held it, it held up well for me. Like, what if instead of <coughs> truck drivers, they were air, airline pilots or something? Yes, you know, well, like they could, uh, be, they could be long haul truck drivers today, or even long haul truck drivers today. Yeah, yeah. But uh, one thing. Uh, so before we wrap it up here, uh, so Anne Sheridan to me was sort of the she was the pure female character in the movie who was kind of put upon by all these men and was constantly being abused at, at her job at the cafe, but saw something in Joe that she liked. And Joe really, mm-hmm. really liked her. And uh, Joe bought her that, that one week rent of the in the boarding house. And the next morning yeah. after, after they... He fell asleep in the bed, and she slept on the couch. But then, as he left in the next morning, she gave him a kiss, and he was so excited and couldn't wait to talk to her again after the next, uh, you know, truck delivery. And then contrast that with the first time that uh, Joe and Lana meet on screen, and Lana is so manipulative and, and devious and trying to get Joe to, you know, be with her, and, and Joe's not having anything to do with it. They were sort of like stereotypes in their own way uh but i found it like really fascinating to watch how the two characters developed in the i I would agree i think that's a real credit to the screenwriters jerry wald and richard mccauley for making it uh seem like they were real people not caricatures and what i what i remember what i realized this morning was that lana and cassie both used the business as a leverage to keep Joe in their lives. Like, Lana leveraged the fact that Joe was at his wit's end to get Joe a job there and then tried to manipulate Joe into being with her over the course of, you know, months. And then at the very end, Anne Sheridan's character, Cassie Hartley, use the business as a way to keep Joe from going out back out on the road as a truck driver. But she did it in a way that was really like healthy. Like she got all the, the people that work there to support her and got his brother to support her. And then just at the right moment, kind of threw her weight behind the idea that Joe should stay on as the, uh, the CEO of the company. Sounds funny, I suppose, but I can't help feeling sorry for that dame. Me too, in a way. What about the business, Joe? What about it? It's like I told you. I'm giving my share to the boys. After what's happened, I need a change of scenery. What about us? We're getting married, just like we figured. I'll dig up a new truck and hit the road again. Well, I'll be on top in no time. I can't miss it. Say, you're not going to tell me I'm not right, are you? No, Joe. Of course, I hate to see you go back to the road, but if that's the way you really want it, I'm with you around every curve. Well... My mind's made up. Gee, I promised to phone the store. Do you mind stopping while I call? All right. I'll only be a minute. Hello, Irish. This is Cassie. Hello, Cassie. What's on your mind? Joe's on his way over to tell you boys he's giving up the business. Have the guy shout him down and I'll do the rest. Okay, kid. Leave it to me. My mind's made up, too. So it's like I tell you, fellas. I don't feel I got the right to stay on here. 
So I'm giving you guys my share, and I'm bowing out. No! Slow down, will you, fellas? Oh, it looks like you're on a dead-end street, Joe. That's right, Joe. These boys want no part of an executive business. Paul here, he, he can handle things as good as anybody. No, no, not me. I got too many other problems. We're gonna have a baby. Congratulations. Say, does Pearl know? <laughs> <laughs> say, that's good news, Paul. Well, you can give us some good news, Joe, and say you're staying on as the head guy. That's right. Fellas, <laughs> well, I'm sure glad you feel this way, but I... Well, I... What do you think, Cassie? Your mind's made up, Joe. But there's a lot of angles here. Somebody's got to take care of those new accounts. And I may get that federal gas contract and... I wouldn't try to influence you any more than I would the boys, Joe. But the way you're talking, maybe you'd better stay. Okay, fellas. I'm sticking with you. That was such a contrast, and I really like that they both had used that business as a way to get what they wanted. The... Uh... The thought I had as I was watching this is I could see my dad and mom sitting in the theater watching this movie in 1940 or 1941 because it would be the kind of movie that people would be attracted to because it's kind of a rugged guy's adventure. One one aside, I loved the black Cadillac convertible. Oh, my God. That Lana yes. drove into that. I mean, the new oh, one that she bought, I thought, that was amazing. Oh, I'll take that right now. Thank you. Yeah, that that car was so cool. She had another car too before that one that was really nice. Uh, the white one, that black Cadillac. Wow. Oh man, I have one quote from the film that I think summarizes both Joe, both the both of the Fabrini brothers, Paul and Joe. Uh, George Raft's character modestly remarks of his trucker breed, and this is the quote: "We're tougher than any truck ever come off an assembly line." <laughs> I remember that line. Yeah, and and the and the uh, critics' uh, comment was that goes for the picture too. <laughs> well, there's so a tag, there was a tagline there was a tagline on the uh, one sheet poster that says, "No picture in 1940 will have bigger thrills." <laughs> I see that. Yes, I'm looking right at it now. Yes, <laughs> with a cast of. Well, one one other players. thing that I really wanted to br- call out was the look on the district attorney's face when. Uh, uh, Ida Lupino's character had that meltdown on the stand was priceless. Oh yes, uh, Henry O'Neill was playing that. Yes, he was like, "Oh crap! Oh boy!" <laughs> <laughs> so much for this case, eh? So I was originally going to give it a seven, uh, but I've decided I think it's more of an eight for me because I, yeah, I, I as I talked centered. through it, I was centered on an eight. I had seen it before, but it had been years ago, and I'd forgotten. I kind of remembered the highlights, you know, like the truck crash and the swinging door that drove her over the edge. But I'd go with an eight. Yeah, really nice, nicely done. So next podcast, we are. Well, we don't know yet. We don't know. That's right. We need to. I tell you what. Why don't we leave it in suspense, and we can decide tomorrow when we have our uh, visit at nine. All right. Well. Uh... Post on the website uh, what the next week's movie is going to be and on Facebook. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has uh, been fun as usual. And uh, Bob and I hope that if you're in the United States that you had a great Thanksgiving. And if you're not in the United States that you just had a great weekend and we're headed into the real holiday season here. So coming to you from Seattle, it's Matt Johnson. 
And in Los Angeles, Bob Johnson wishing you great movie watching.